Lord, move among us, lead us, guide us. May the teaching today be of your Spirit. May any learning today be of your Spirit. May it not be of our will or our own understanding, because if it is, we will fail. But let it be according to your divine majesty and your divine wisdom for us to receive today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Please be seated. Hope you don't mind. I'm a wanderer, but because of social distancing, I'll stay behind the rail. Um, I can't, I just, I, for whatever reason, I, I've lost an affinity to the pulpit, so I've not been able to stay constrained behind one for the past few months. But welcome, welcome this morning to Church of the Good Shepherd here in Maitland. My name is Jose Rodriguez. Um, I am the vicar of Iglesia Episcopal Jesus de Nazaret. Um, sadly, um, while um, I'm glad I can be with you all today, our church, our local community, is in the middle of the hot zone for the coronavirus in Orange County. So we particularly cannot open because of our particular geography and the particularities of where we're at. So we do ask when you do, when you are able to gather, keep us in your prayers um, and keep our congregation in your prayers because we've been hit especially hard by the virus. But that said, I am very glad to be here with you all today because, you know, the church isn't just the four walls where I serve. The church is everywhere. So when Cameron told me his little one had the sniffles, little little baby germs that get everywhere, and that he thought it was best to stay home, I was more than glad and more than willing to come and spend time with you all here today. Um, So let's just get into the meat of it. Um, Normally, I, I will roll with with, oh, I read the wrong verse or I didn't prepare for track one or two and change my sermon on the fly. But today I felt really convicted about talking to you about Laban, um, Jacob, and his wives. You see, in Scripture, we're, we're very early on in Scripture. Um, we're, we're very at the beginnings of Genesis. And we're talking about marriage. But we can't talk about the marriage of Jacob with his two wives without talking about the marriages, the few of them that have brought us here to this place right now. First, we start with Adam and Eve. They were created for each other. When Adam sees Eve, he goes, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, and he recognizes her and says, you must be woman, you know, in this, in this very beautiful term where he's seeing her as his equal. You are like me. You were created for me. We are meant to be together. But sadly, sin crept in. And that beautiful union where they saw each other as they were created to be seen, as equals, co, co-regents over creation, Adam looks at her and says, you did this to me. God, the woman you gave me, she did this to me. And disruption entered into that first marriage. And it turned out that it wasn't just Adam who was bitter at his partner. But Eve, when she gave birth to her first son, she says, I will name him this because out of woman he came. And the curse that was spoken upon them, I don't think God desired for them to be estranged from one another, but the fact is their own behavior estranged them from one another. So the curse is actually the reality of what was occurring to them. Your desire will be for your husband, which means you want to be the head, but he's going to rule over you. And this is a very sad state of affairs because I created you for better than this. Then we go into some other marriages. Abraham and Sarah, 
all seems great. Abraham, the father of faith. But, you know, the boat gets rocky and he gives her away to Pharaoh. I don't know if you all read that story, but he just gives her away to Pharaoh. Wow. And then God promises something to them. And instead of living into God's promise, and, and he had enough faith to be uprooted and move across the wilderness to a strange land. And instead of holding on to God's promise and waiting for it to be fulfilled in God's timing, he goes along with whatever crazy idea Sarah got had. And they brought disruption into their marriage. Because now the party of two is now the party of three, and we have Hagar to deal with. And I feel really bad for Hagar because she got caught up in some really toxic mess. Sarah went after her bad. But then it seems everything is going great because Isaac, he meets Rebecca. And scripture is very clear. He loved her very much. So we finally seem to be turning a, a page here, right? Isaac and Rebecca, they're in love. Finally, we have a love match. They're going to get this right. And they get twins. Daddy likes one, mommy likes the other. They divide, conquer, and the love they had for each other did not make it into the family unit. Each of them preferred one child over the other, and the children were in conflict with one another. And this is what leads us to our friend Jacob today. See, Jacob, he was smart. His brother wasn't so smart. But his brother had his, his own sets of talents, you know? We all have gifts according to what the Spirit gives us. And we can't get into this business of comparing my gifts to your gifts, your gifts to mine, who has better gifts. We all have gifts. Esau was a man of the field. He was a hunter. If you needed to survive in life, you want Esau on your side. Now Jacob, he was shrewd. I would call him the banker. I was a banker. No offense to any bankers, I was a banker. But, but he, he knew how to get his way. He knew how to make arrangements. So he got what he needed at the end. And instead of working together as a family, they followed the example that their parents gave them. I'm favored. I'm favored. And Esau, sadly, outsmarted his brother and took all that was for his brother. Now there's penalty. The first one was just utter shrewdness. He just took advantage of his brother. Um, entered into a contract where one party was stronger than the other, taking advantage of someone who was starving and near death. But it was still a legal contract. The second one was outright fraud. He dressed up like his brother, went before his blind and dying father with the help of his mother. Look at the division in this family. Husband and wife loved each other very much, but they were complicit in their children's corruption went before his father and stole his brother's blessing. Now you think all is said and done. He, he now has all the money. He now has all the blessings. He's going to be the head of house. But the reality is when we mess up, God may forgive us of our sins, and he will if you go before him and ask him for forgiveness of your sins, but you're still going to pay the consequences of your behavior on earth. You you live a licentious lifestyle, you will pay the benefit, you will pay the penalty of licentious lifestyle. Jacob took advantage of Esau, a much stronger, formidable brother who could crush him in a moment's notice. And he had to run away from the safety of his parents' home. 
and he ran to um, a land that is foreign to him, but is not really foreign because it's where his father came from. But he went to a different place, a different culture. He thinks it's his culture. He thinks he knows them. And he probably should have known what he was walking into because the same fraudulent lifestyle that his mother raised them up to be is the same fraudulent lifestyle his uncle's going to give to him. I liken this, and I remember many, many years ago, I went with a friend to Italy. And I remember our first night in Rome. And my friend was like, you know, I'm Italian, and 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 I've, I've always wanted this. And we're sitting at the dinner table at this restaurant. We don't understand what's on the menu. She picks up a few things, and we order it, and it comes to the table. And I'm like, what is this? And she's like, I don't know what it is. It's not my grandmother's food. And I'm like, this is your culture, isn't it? I thought it was my culture, but this is foreign to me. So this is Jacob, right? He is second generation or first generation in a foreign country going back home. And it's not exactly like he thought it would be. But there was some commonality because his ankle was exactly who his mother was and who his mother raised him to be. So he goes into his uncle's court. Uncle sounds so generous. It is not right that you work for me for free. It's not right. Let, let, let's, let me bless you. What would you like, my son? My son, I'm adopting you. You're mine. He goes, well, I'm really, 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 really in love with your daughter. Could I marry her? Well, work for me for seven years. You can marry her. So he does that. He labors for seven years. And he is so smitten by her. And he is so in love with her that he doesn't even notice that the seven years have gone by. So here he is on his wedding day. And and um, he probably has no idea what's going on. He probably had no input. You know, um, I love my wife. My wife is awesome. I had no input on our wedding day. <laughs> she accommodated me, maybe. And if I try to maybe put my foot down, no. So it was really much the bride's wedding. And this is very much the bride's wedding. He's sitting down, they're throwing a feast. Um, you have to imagine, like, I, I, I want to say, I, I like, what I, when I deal with scripture, I want to be very clear, you know, what's written and what we imagine to try to make sense. And what's imagined isn't necessarily what's in scripture. But I have to imagine this big party, probably a little bit too much to drink, the alcohol's free, um, flowing freely. So he's already not understanding what's going in around him. Food, alcohol, you're sleepy, kind of like Thanksgiving. And then the bride comes down. Now, the sister, she had weak eyes. So he would have been able to see her from the eyes. So I have to imagine a fully veiled, fully clothed, just a lump of cloth at the altar, at the table, wherever he's going to be, a little bit of alcohol, and his uncle tricked him into marrying the wrong sister. And he wakes up the next morning after the deed is done, it's sealed, consummation meant the contract was done. And he did this in front of a crowd, the marriage, and, and taking her. Um, and he can't get out of this. And he goes to his uncle, what have you done to me? And his uncle goes, well, you don't understand her customs. Yeah, he does, because he did that to his own brother. He does understand the customs. It's not right for you to marry my, my youngest daughter and still leave my oldest daughter, you know, unmarried. 
So how about this? Finish your honeymoon one week. I'll let you marry my other daughter for seven years more labor. So he did. And you know, that brings us to a very interesting point. We reap what we sow. And one of the hardest things for me as a priest when I'm reconciling somebody is the reality that the world we live in, there's a separation of church and state. So maybe in the Middle Ages, you could have gone running to a priest and gotten an indulgence and gotten a get-out-of-jail-free get card. But when we are in a rough spot where we have sinned, where we have fallen, where we have not made the right decisions, yes, there is forgiveness. Yes, there is grace. But there are still consequences. Jacob wouldn't have been in this mess if perhaps he had not defrauded his brother. Perhaps he wouldn't have been strong-armed into the deal that he didn't want if perhaps he had stayed in his father's household. And like his father before him, his father sent out somebody to do the trade. But Jacob took his fate into his own hands. Instead of trusting God's promises, instead of trusting in God's provision, he decided to be active in taking what wasn't necessarily his or what wasn't necessarily meant for him in a manner that was inappropriate, which led him to go into the wilderness and be tested. Now, we know there's a happy ending. The Lord blesses. It, it wasn't only just the, a party of two. It became a party of four because each wife brought a maid with her. And then there were 12 kids out of it. And the Lord blessed them, even though we get some more family drama, Joseph in the well sold slavery. You know, this story continues. But the Lord redeems that situation and takes Jacob out of Laban's house. And even when his wives engage in some thievery of their own, still protects Jacob in the wilderness. But this is the point I want to get to. There is amazing grace. But when you come for, for, for reconciliation, you also have to bear the consequences of your behavior. And instead of seeing it as divine punishment, because it's not, God didn't put Jacob in the situation. Jacob put Jacob in the situation. And instead of turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, why have you brought this upon me? No. Why did I do this to myself, Lord? How can you change me and shape me so I don't fall back into these behaviors, Lord? Lord, how can you reorient me into a lifestyle of holiness where I don't fall back into this? Lord, how can you help me bear this burden that I've earned? That's what brings us into the pearl of great price. Man, merchant, goes out. He's probably digging around, seeing what the, the, the oyster people brought in. Chuckers, I don't know what they call them. And he spots something. And he says, I'm going to redeem this. I'm going to buy this. But he doesn't do it immediately. First, he has to pay a great price to be able to redeem that pearl. He has to sell everything he has Christ had to give up his own life to come back and buy, redeem that pearl. That 
parable speaks to me. Many years ago, um, before children, BC, um, Heather and I had one last, my wife Heather, she's a parish administrator here, so if you don't know that connection, hi, I'm Heather's husband. Um, but Heather and I had this dream of going to Japan. So we saved up our pennies, frequent flyer miles, and we did this trip to Japan. And we knew from visiting Epcot, so I don't know if anyone's been to Epcot, been to the Japan Pavilion, they actually have a pearl exhibit. And they have a pyramid of pearls. And apparently in Japan, the top 1% of pearl quality is not allowed to be exported. So even the cheapest pearls in Japan are more expensive than any pearl you can get in the United States. They do not export the top 1% or 2% of their pearl quality. They keep it internal for domestic um, consumption. So we knew all we had to do was walk into a department store, buy the cheapest um, set of pearls, and it would be better than, than anything we'd be able to find in the United States. So we asked our friend, can, can we... Can we, um, can you direct us to a place that we can get some cheap pearls? And his mother goes, well, I tutor somebody who's a wholesaler of pearls. Wholesale sounds amazing. So, um, it's like, yes, yes, we, we want to go get these pearls. Yes. So we meet, um, in, at a subway station. We walk through an alley. And as we're going through this alley, I'm like, yes, this is going to be cheap. Not good real estate. We're going into a little, into a little corner store in the middle of nowhere. So we walk in very bare office and I'm like yes we, we, we score we're going to get them wholesale and it's going to be a great deal and Heather's going to get that that strand of pearls she always wanted and then they take us to the back they give us tea and like oh this is great this is great they're giving us like the red carpet treatment and they said follow us and then okay and then we go into an elevator the elevator takes us to the second floor we walk into a vault and then I'm starting to get nervous. Like, what did I get us into? Inside the vault, there is a boardroom with oak and jade on the walls. And I'm like, Heather, did we bring their credit card? <laughs> and they bring out strand after strand after strand. And I'm like, okay, Heather, I'm whispering to her, just smile and just buy a pair of earrings. You're not getting your, 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 your pearls that you wanted. Just buy the cheapest thing that we can find. And interesting enough, they were all affordable. So we ended up walking out with four strands of pearls that day to give to her family as well. But it wasn't just going to redeem the pearls. I thought it was as simple as that, right? But these were raw pearls. We had to pay for the pearls, and they said, you have to come back. We have to prepare them for you. That struck me. I, was like, I thought, here are pearls. No, no, no. They had to polish them. They had to treat them. They had to put a proper strand in them. They had to put a proper clasp. So I thought we were working out with pearls, but we had to come back. They rung us on our phone, and then they were ready for pickup. And that is what Jesus does for us. He spots us. He finds us. He pays a great price for us. Anxiety. I think the book of Romans caught, says about the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I, I love this because if you study the, the Greek, it's the same word as a woman in labor. Um, the Holy Spirit interceding for us through wordless, wordless groans. The Holy, even the Holy Spirit, God, Holy Spirit suffers for us, 
groans for us. If you've ever seen a mother suffering for an adult child who's going to jail or has passed away, you know that cry. You know that yell. That is the yell the Holy Spirit does for us. Christ on the cross is the suffering that Jesus does for us to redeem us, the pearl of great price. The Father looking down from heaven and seeing His Son die for us is the price that is paid for us as pearls. So the kingdom of heaven is also like this. A little grain of mustard seed. I used to love teaching that in, um, in Sunday school. Little grain of mustard seed. Um, when I was in the process to become a priest, um, my priest at the time, Father John, had the great idea of me doing the children's lesson um, for the bishop of, bishop's visit, our former bishop, not Bishop Greg. And, um, and it was about the mustard seed. So I had the great idea um, of lugging in a bucket of dirt into the church and, and basically doing a gardening lesson right in front of the altar with the children and different kinds of seeds and then bringing out the mustard seed and having them drop the seed and not be able to pick it up. And, and I thought it was a great idea. The bishop did not seem amused seeing a big old bucket of dirt and dirt going everywhere. But, but it's a tiny little thing. And if you know anything about tiny little things, you can easily fumble it. You can easily lose it. But that's the beauty of our Lord. He doesn't require much of us. He does the work for us. All he needs from us is to bring him a little shred of faith. Just something. Just something he can grab onto and he will perfect the work. He will turn that little shred into a mighty tree. He will turn our broken, tattered life and he will reorient us into the right direction. He will meet us in our place of suffering. He will meet us in that place where we are burdened and he will perfect us and make it right. Even when it's through our own fault, sin is always our fault. Sin is 100% our fault, period. We cannot blame anyone for sin except ourselves. So even when, if it's, when it's our own fault, all we have to do is turn to him and say, Father, rescue me. We don't even have to offer much. Just, hmm? Like, you know, you know, we're so tall and we have these little ones, you know, and then you have to lean down and grab the child and scoop them. We don't have to offer much. We could be that little child just with their little arms. And you know that pathetic little thing that children do when, when they want you to pick them up. And they're, all we have to do is just nag on him a little bit. And he will scoop us up and he will do the rest. That is that mustard seed's faith that will take that pearl out of that oyster, clean it up, put it in nice setting, and present it for the bride it is. And please, 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 please remember, please remember, whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever hole you've dug yourself into, whatever condemnation you've brought onto yourself, nothing is impossible when it comes to God's ability to rescue you. No hole is too deep. No mess is too messy. No damnation is too great for Jesus to reach in, 
polish you off and present you as a bride. And I leave this to you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.